There's a true story reported about the king of Jordan. On several occasions, King Abdullah II of Jordan had disguised himself and mingled with his subjects. His rationale for this unorthodox approach is to better understand and serve his people. Taking the character of an ordinary old Arab man, he had appeared in public with a fake white beard, wearing the traditional Jordanian kufia and the Arab white dress. While so disguised, the king walked around two government buildings without security and was not even noticed. While waiting in a long line, he engaged people in conversation and listened to their point of view. Such incognito appearances have marked the 42-year-old monarch's reign since he assumed the throne in 1999. He disguised himself as an old man previously while visiting a hospital. Another time, he circulated around Amman behind the wheel of a taxi cab. Still another time, he passed himself off as a television reporter trying to cover a story as a duty-free shop. Jordanian government employees are now not taking any chances. They have started to spend time looking at people's faces, fearing they might meet the king in disguise. As we gather around this morning, we'll be looking at a passage where we will be meeting a different kind of king. People were about to meet a different kind of king in a different kind of disguise. We'll be looking at a passage in God's word this morning from the Gospel of John chapter 12, where Jesus and the crowd were heading to Jerusalem. It is a day in our Christian calendar that many people call Palm Sunday. We'll be looking at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This is found on page 1075 in the Church Bibles. I'd ask you to please follow along as I read again the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-transforming word. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. These things his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. And the Lord bless the reading, hearing, and obeying of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Well, Father God, we do thank you and praise you for letting us gather together on this Lord's Day. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, please be with us as we look at your word. And Lord God, we pray, Lord, that you would make us further into your image, for it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at God's word this morning, we can see a large crowd was heading to Jerusalem. Why did a large crowd of people come to Jerusalem? The seemingly obvious answer to the question of why the large crowd of people had come to Jerusalem was because of what John calls the feast. But what feast? Well, there were seven different feasts or festivals that the Jewish people were commanded to keep, 
And you can look at the look up this on your own in Leviticus chapter 23. But yet we can see based on our context, looking back at chapter uh, at verse one of chapter 12, that there were six days. They were six days before the Passover feast. So we can see that many people were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. If you remember, the book of Exodus tells us of the origin of the Passover feast. God had promised to redeem his people from being enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. And God sent Moses to the Egyptian king with a command that Pharaoh let God's people go. And when Pharaoh refused, God brought 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. The 10th and worst of the plagues was the plague of death for all the firstborn in Egypt. The night of the first Passover was the night of the 10th plague. And on that fateful night, God told the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and mark their doorposts and lintels with its blood. Then, when the Lord passed through the nation, he would pass over, thus pass over, he would pass over the households that showed the blood. It is said, in a very real way, the blood of the Lamb saved the Israelites from death as it kept the destroyer from entering their homes. The Israelites were saved from the plague. Their firstborn children stayed alive along with the instruction to apply the Passover lamb's blood to their doorposts and lentils, God instituted a commemorative meal of fire-roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. The Lord told the Israelites to observe this rite as festival, as a statute for you and for your sons forever, even if they were in a foreign land. And this was the Passover feast that many in the crowd were heading into Jerusalem for. In thinking about how large the crowd may have been, it is said as at a time in Jerusalem surrounding villages, it was incredibly crowded. On a, one occasion, a census was taken of the lambs slain at the Passover feast. The number was given as 256,000 lambs. Some say that there had to be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. And if that is, estimate is correct, that meant that there must have been as many as 2,500,000 people at the Passover feast. Well, even if that figure is exaggerated, exaggerated, it remains true that the numbers must have been immense. But there were other reasons behind the obvious reason of going to Jerusalem for the feast. It was likely that some of the people were compelled to come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They felt compelled. Perhaps some felt compelled to go out of a sense of obligation. Perhaps you know what I mean. Maybe your family received an invitation from a family member to, to go to a wedding and you, you felt compelled to attend out of a sense of obligation. Maybe you were one of the children in the family who got the invitation and, and your parents are compelling you to go to the wedding because they say you must go. You got to clean up, get dressed up, and you are going and you're going to uh, be happy about being there. Uh, but maybe on the other hand, you're, you are compelled by another reason. You're compelled by love. You're compelled by love because you love this couple that has invited you to the wedding. You've been graciously given an invitation to attend this wedding and you desire to go and celebrate this new couple coming together as husband and wife. And, and we know that many people were compelled in one way or another to go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But there were other reasons that people were coming to Jerusalem as well. We can see in verse 12 of our passage that many people had heard about Jesus. And so some were coming, were curious about who Jesus was. Some were curious about who Jesus was. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? 
who is this Jesus? Many were curious about who Jesus was. They had heard about him doing various miracles, and now they had heard that he had raised a dead person to life. It says earlier in chapter 12, verse 9, that the large crowd of the Jews then learned that Jesus was there. And they came not for the sake of Jesus only, but they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. This was an amazing thing, a miracle to be seen. And in verse 18, it says, For this reason the people went to meet him, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, this miracle. Many had come because they were curious about Jesus. People are still curious about Jesus, and back on February 8th of this year, something unique was happening at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury University is a small Christian university, perhaps not many of you know about it, but they were having a, uh, their normal Wednesday chapel service on Wednesday, February 8th, and the president of the school sent out a brief two-sentence email to the students saying, there is worship happening in Hughes Auditorium. You are welcome to join. Pretty simple two-sentence uh, email to the students. What happened next was what some may have called a revival. The news of this phenomenon spread through social media and Christian online publications. Notably, the news of the revival had spread on social media, and it was attended by nearly 15,000 people every day. And most of the people were standing outside. It would be like people here at Crossroads. There's no way we could have 15,000 people inside our church building. So most of them were standing outside with the speakers outside. By the end of the revival, it brought more than 50 to perhaps 70,000 visitors to Asbury University, representing people from almost every state in the United States, as well as multiple countries. What started as a relatively small group of students spending time in worshiping Jesus led to crowds of people gathering, most out of curiosity. Our passage is telling us is that many people were gathering because they also were curious about Jesus. Some people not only thought that he was some sort of miracle worker, that there were some that thought he was a prophet. It says in the parallel account in Matthew chapter 21, verse 11, that some uh, who said that he is a prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And earlier in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus referred to himself, asking, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? His disciples said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. Still others said Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Even today, the Muslim religion looks at Jesus as a prophet. And in fact, they believe that he is one of the greatest prophets of all, except they think Muhammad was greater. After Jesus asked who the people say that he was, he asked his own disciples, but who do you say that I am? This is the question that the curious crowd wanted to know. Was he just a miracle worker or some prophet of God, or was he the promised Messiah? Looking at verse 13 of our passage, it would appear as if many came to celebrate Jesus as the promised Messiah. Many came and celebrated Jesus as their Messiah. But what kind of Messiah did they think Jesus was? It says that the large crowd took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And the reason that they used branches of palm trees was because of what they represented. The, the waving of the palm branches was a symbol of victory and triumph. This crowd was celebrating the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. But what kind of Messiah were they expecting? The word Messiah, 
uh, we know, means anointed one. It has always been the case that when Israel received a new king, uh, he would have been anointed with oil and set apart as the king of Israel to lead his people. God made a promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and following, saying, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This was first being fulfilled through his son Solomon, of course, but Solomon was not the promised Messiah. There were other kings down the road, and Hezekiah was also a great king, but he was also not the promised Messiah. By the time that Jesus was walking the earth, it is said that most of the Jews were looking for a Messiah king who would be a political revolutionary. They were looking for a Messiah king who would come in and release the nation from Roman domination. They wanted a king like David who would release them from the oppression of the Roman government. They, and they started to believe that Jesus was their version of the Messiah. In fact, not only did the people start waving their palm branches in victory, they, they began to shout their victory chant. It was, it was even more impressive than the 67,000 people who gather at the link in Philadelphia singing the Eagles fight song whenever they score a touchdown. You know, it was, it was much bigger than that. It was, it was a wonderful time of shouting and celebrating. And what the people were shouting was from the book of Psalms. The part of that John quotes for us in, in passage is Psalm 118, verse 25. And it says, they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. John uses the Greek word Hosanna coming from the Hebrew word Hoshia, which means save us. Psalm 118, verse 25, looking in the Old Testament, says, O Lord, do save. We beseech you, O Lord. We beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This passage in Psalm 118 was pointing to the promise of the Messiah to come. Many Jews would have memorized these words for their continued prayers to God to come and to save them by sending the promised Messiah King. But, but their version of the Messiah King was different than what God had promised. They were hoping that this Jesus that they were celebrating would be their Messiah King, would lead them into a revolt over the tyrannical rule of Rome. Some in the crowd were compelled, we know. Some were curious. Some were celebrating the coming their coming version of the Messiah. And yet some were confused about Jesus. Some were confused about Jesus. In particular, we see in verse 16 that the disciples, some of the disciples at first seemed confused. It says about these things, his, his disciples did not understand. They didn't understand. They were confused. Even when Jesus spoke to his disciples plainly in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he was teaching his disciples and speaking about himself. He said, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And it says in verse 32, but the disciples did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. They were confused. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem 
and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And we see how Peter responded next. It says that Peter took Jesus aside and Jesus began to, or Peter began to rebuke Jesus saying to him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Well, Jesus immediately turned around and rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The disciples were confused because they were thinking about an earthly Messiah king, an earthly kingdom. The disciples James and John were also confused. They came up to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, verse 35, saying, Teacher, we want you to do this for us, whatever we ask. Well, that was a very bold, bold uh, statement. And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Well, they were not talking about heavenly glory. They were talking about this earthly king. They were asking to be the main leaders next to Jesus on his right and on his left in his earthly kingdom. Jesus responded to their confusion by saying, you do not know what you are asking. As we look at our passage, we see that there was at least one more group of people who had a reason to be there. And it was apparent that some were there who were trying to cease what Jesus was doing. They were trying to cease what Jesus was doing. Earlier in John chapter uh, 11, verse 46, it says, After Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, many of the Jews who had seen what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them were concerned and went and told the Pharisees and Jesus what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They wanted to cease what Jesus was doing because Jesus seemed to be a threat to their livelihood. And so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. As we look at our passage of scripture, we see the various reasons why people came to Jerusalem. But why Why was Jesus coming to Jerusalem? Why was Jesus coming to Jerusalem? Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to continue his mission. Part of his mission was to come and to fulfill the law. Jesus said, do not think that I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He also tells us in the Gospel of Luke that he came in to seek and to save the lost. He, he came to seek and to save lost sinners like you and like me. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that he did not come to be served like an earthly king would want. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he came to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover to show that he was the fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice. He would be the final sacrifice. He came to Jerusalem to be the perfect and spotless Lamb of God that shed his blood for the payment of their sins. The prophet John the Baptist even foretold that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was coming to be the perfect and final Passover Lamb. It is only through the sinless life of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross that anyone can escape the punishment of death that we deserve because of our sin and then receive that gift of eternal life. On his journey to continue his mission, Jesus was coming as the promised Christ. 
Jesus came as the promised Christ. Christ was not his last name, as some people think. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one. Jesus came as the promised Messiah King, the, the anointed one, which means Messiah. In verse 14, it shows us the remarkable way that this king had made his entrance into Jerusalem. It says that he came riding in on a donkey. Well, as you think about someone of royalty making their entrance into a city, one might have expected that, especially then, there might have been this long-awaited king who had been arriving on this big and beautiful horse with armed guards all around him. But that is not what happened. We get a more detailed account from the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew chapter 21. It says that as they were drawing near to Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and an occult with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Well, this seemed very odd. Was was Jesus encouraging his disciples to steal for him? No, of course not. He was showing that Jesus is Lord, that he is God and King, and that he owns everything. But why why get a donkey and not a war horse made for a king? Well, it tells us in Matthew chapter 21, verse 4, that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, this took place again to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. It was yet another prophecy about the promise of the coming Messiah being fulfilled by Jesus. John is making reference to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. and John says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. When we look up Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly. Yes, fear not. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. John was not quoting Zechariah verbatim. The daughter of Zion meant Jerusalem, and later it meant Israel as the people of God. And just like Zechariah, John was reminding the people that no matter what the situation looked like, we are able to rejoice and not fear and to shout in triumph because the promise of the king of kings was coming. Zechariah told us that he would not be an ordinary king. It says that this king who was coming would be righteous and just. He would not just be a good king. He would be a perfectly righteous and holy king, having no sin and having done everything right. It says that he would be perfectly just, not letting the guilty go unpunished. It says that he is the one, the one alone, who would be able to be endowed with salvation. He is the promised Messiah who alone would come and save his people from their sin. This was a message of hope to the people of God in Zechariah's day, and it was a message of hope to the crowds in Jerusalem as Jesus would be arriving in many ways as an unexpected king. Jesus fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy, and he would be the hum promised humble king who was mounted on a donkey. The people in, uh, in the crowd had no idea what kind of a humble king was in their presence. This picture of humility is found of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, and the description is this in Philippians 2, verses 6 and following. Although Jesus existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, even a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is humility. Jesus, being 
fully God, enjoying his rightful throne as the king of kings in heaven, in loving humility came to this earth and became a man and lived his life of perfect obedience. And as we see him in our passage today, humbly riding on a donkey, heading into Jerusalem, was in order to fulfill the scripture, in order to suffer and die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. This was not the kind of king that the crowd had expected. What the crowd expected and what they wanted was a conquering king. They wanted a king who would come and defeat their enemies. They, they wanted a king like David in their past who had defeated Goliath and the Philistines and all their neighboring enemies. They wanted a king who would defeat the oppression of the Roman rule in their lives now. And they didn't understand that what they really needed was a conquering king who would do so much more for them. Jesus came to be the ultimate conquering king. Jesus would come as the ultimate conquering king to defeat the real enemies, the real enemies of sin and death and Satan. Sin is an enemy because sin is what separates us from God. We have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We are separated from God because of our sin. God tells us that the wages of our sin is death. What we deserve for our sin is death. That is what we will receive if, if we do not receive Christ. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin when he willingly died on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Paul says in Ephesians, if Jesus, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus also came to conquer death for us. The prophet Isaiah foretold, he said, namely, he, he said, he said, he will, and that namely is Jesus, will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away our tears from our faces. Jesus conquered death for us when he rose from the grave. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, yet though he dies, yet shall he live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Jesus came to conquer death through his resurrection from the dead so that we too may have eternal life if we trust in him alone. Jesus came to conquer sin, death, and Satan. And we know that that first prophecy of Satan's destruction was found in Genesis chapter 3 where it said that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent in his head in the Garden of Eden. This was none other than Satan. Paul declares in Romans 16, verse 20, that the God of peace, namely Jesus, would soon crush Satan. In Hebrews, the author said that Jesus would destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And as we read in Revelation chapter 20, the devil who had deceived them will be thrown into the lake of fire where there will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Praise God that Jesus came as our conquering king, a humble king, but a conquering king. And Jesus promised, Jesus promised that he's coming back again. King Jesus promised that he's coming back again. Are you prepared for his coming? As the various crowds met Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, there will, there will be likely billions of people on this earth awaiting the return of the king. Are you ready for the return of the king? 
But another valid question this morning is, why have you come to church today? Why have you come to church today? Well, just like the people in the crowd going to Jerusalem, maybe you had you were compelled. Maybe you were compelled to come. Uh, you know, we are glad that you are here. We are very glad. Remind you, the pastor emeritus Tim Whitmer used to say of going to church that his parents compelled him to go to church most of his life. They said that he needed to get dressed and go to church. And then Pastor Tim was compelled by God's love to come as he put his trust in King Jesus. Maybe you are here because you are curious or maybe you are confused about Jesus. I would encourage you to talk with myself, Pastor Mike, or one of the elders so that you too can come and truly know and put your trust in Jesus as your king. God's word tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if he is your king, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Have you confessed that Jesus is your Lord and King? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If so, then you too have become saved by King Jesus and you now are a child of the King. There are those of you who are here today who have been compelled to come because of the love of your King Jesus. I pray that we would all continue to celebrate what he has done in our life as, as our Savior and as our Lord. And we need to be remi reminded of what King Jesus has done for us and ask ourselves, how are we committing our lives to Jesus as King? What more can we be doing to commit our lives to Jesus as the one true King? Remember that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, I thank you that you have not left us alone, that you, in your mercy and your grace, sent Jesus God the Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to come to this earth, born as a king, lived his life perfectly, no sin in his life, went to the cross and died for us, and conquered sin and death and Satan in his resurrection and offers us the gift of eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to believe and to trust in you as our Lord and King, and that we would be prepared for your return. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.